Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. It is Thursday, July 12th, and I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. And not a ton of news since we last got with you folks uh, 10 days or so ago. Uh, I guess the main news is in the recruiting world where Notre Dame kind of inexplicably got a, a verbal commitment from wide receiver TJ Sheffield last week. And then earlier this week, I guess it was Wednesday, um, Sheffield announced via Twitter that Nordham had not accepted his commitment. And I don't, I mean, we didn't expect it to come down like this, obviously. And there's obviously some miscommunication on Nordham's part, but recruiting's difficult and sometimes things like this happen. And um, Nordham was not sold on Sheffield. If, If you've read our film reviews, we didn't think that he had a whole lot of burst and that he was a marginal prospect. And if they got another receiver, they would uh, go ahead and pull the plug on him. And they haven't, uh, they did get that receiver in Cam Hart and, and pulled the plug. At, look, when Brian Kelly doesn't do the we are ND Twitter thing, it's <laughs> a like, good sign that you should be really alarmed. And that's also in Sheffield's situation, not only did he commit really without sort of the staff being in good communication there, like he immediately said he was going to take other visits when he did it. And then a day later said, no, I'm actually I'm 100% for Notre Dame. Like, it was awkward from the get-go on that one. Didn't Eric Parsegian once not tweet out "We are indeed" when he got some big he recruits did, yeah, back he in did. the seventies? He went quiet on Twitter. All, but, uh, <laughs> he was remarkably quiet on Twitter. Yeah, it's not lame at all. But it's a, uh, it's, it's a. I think we just talked about it before the podcast. It's a bad look for about thirty-six hours, and then that's just recruiting. That's the way the world works. If social media didn't exist, it wouldn't be a bad look. That's just, yeah, just how it goes. Man. I was in a conversation on Twitter with some a fan about this, and he's like, ah, it looks bad. Like, uh, Ohio State and Michigan, are you going to use this against Notre Dame in recruiting? I'm like, one, this is like a glass house stones type of situation. And two, if Notre Dame's staff is worried, of, is letting sort of Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer set their recruiting priorities based on potential negative recruiting tactics, like – that's a losing proposition, too. That's, that would just drive you insane. This is a bad look if it's December 15th, right before the first sign. Totally agree. Or right before whenever. Where the kid wouldn't have other options. Exactly. That he could it's not eight, have more options it's now. Eight, it's yeah, it's, it's eight no months deal. before <laughs> signing. And, and I know he lists Ohio State as one of the schools. But do you realistically no. think that T.J. Sheffield is going to end up on Ohio State's roster? Of course not. Purdue's in his top four. My bet is that he ends up going to Purdue, which makes a lot of sense for him. Now, in the process... You know, last night or early this morning or somewhere along the line here, Asa Turner, the wide receiver from – or I'm sorry, the outside linebacker from um, California, verbally committed to Washington. Not a complete shock, although it seemed like he was trending in Notre Dame's direction, trying to read the tea leaves. I think a lot was read into. He spoke highly of Notre Dame and said very little about Washington. Sometimes that means something, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think it's a complete shock that Asa Turner, who's a hell of a prospect, a legit – four-star athlete with a ton of upside and a very intriguing prospect is on his way to, to Washington. West Coast prospect stays on West Coast. Yeah. That's not really a, a huge shocking headline. Good player, though. I, I, I definitely liked him on film. 
I, you know, I, I was outspoken about Notre Dame accepting Jack Kaiser's verbal commitment a while back, and that was amidst the whole Asa Turner, um, uh, Sinclair talk about, you know, Notre Dame landing one or maybe both of them. Now you get a little better understanding that Notre Dame knows what, what it was doing. Of course, Osiri Aquanu is already on board at linebacker, and we love his game as a four-star prospect. But you get a better understanding why they took Kaiser's uh, commitment because Turner's out, and there's no guarantee that Tristan Sinclair is coming Notre Dame's way. The bird in the hand is another way of pointing <laughs> out what Pete kind of mentions. There's two in the bush, you might not get them, right? It's, it's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that West Coast prospect stays on West Coast, is like <laughs> shocking. Um, Indiana prospect commits to school in Indiana is like that's those are the guys that can be the one in your hand that you know you haven't if you if you get Sinclair or if you were in on Turner then you know maybe you sign one extra linebacker that that's fine in this class and Clark Lee's I mean from everything we can tell he's sold on Jack Kaiser he loves his upside yeah he's a 1A player but yes. he loves his upside I don't see the explosiveness that he sees but I don't see all the film that he sees either either so um you know, now it's it's a little bit clear, clear, and I wanted to I just wanted to say that because I was kind of outspoken about why did Notre Dame do that. Well, in retrospect, now you got a little better idea. Why I think did. that Notre Dame's recruiting perspective, uh, particularly on defense and uh, especially with Clark Lee, is is going to have a lot more of a, a developmental edge to it moving forward, where they would prefer Jack Kaiser to. The four-star linebacker who's six foot one and two hundred thirty-five pounds, who probably isn't going to get much bigger, isn't going to get much faster, but is a great high school player yeah. right now. Um, Without Clark, speaking ill of them, David Adams types that could be Carlo Calabrese. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, how big is Jack Kaiser? I, I, I don't, he's I about know. six two and a half. To he's he's light. I mean, he's two twenty maybe. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure he's six two and a half. That's all yeah. I'm saying about it. And that and that was another question mm-hmm. I had. I thought he was more like in the six one, six one and a half range, which you know, you look at film and you, you try to yeah. actually discern that, but a little difficult to do but that. But he's light. Yeah, and they've can been put up, weight on. Right, and they've been up close with yeah, him. So he's they definitely have a better idea. Too. Kind of longer limb type player. So I think Lee's perspective on linebacker recruiting is give me the guy I can develop over four years versus the guy who can come in and play right away. That's not saying like give me Jack Kaiser over Jalen Smith. Right. It's saying that the guy with the ceiling that you hit in year two is not the guy Notre Dame's going to – and there are a lot of guys on Notre Dame's roster right now at linebacker not named Tranquil or Coney that I think the coaching staff feels that way about. But not – I wouldn't say the freshman. The, I would no, not no, I, that's it, I think that's, that's why Lee worked his butt off in recruiting last year is because without that freshman class, they would be sort of in a world of hurt. Yeah, they kind of, they not officially yet, but they kind of missed on, on the previous season's freshman class. Obviously, Adams is already no, out of Wood is quite his way behind. Yeah. Um, you know, for a guy for a year older, I, but this would go to your point of when does he peak? I really like John Jones as a backup as long as he remains I the, think back, they do. I the think, backup to those two guys inside. I think that's Notre Dame's perspective too. Like, this is a guy we're happy on the roster. Yes. But, as a starter, not a thirteen game guy, a one game playoff. guy. I think one game guy. You know, he goes sure. in and starts yeah, even well, against anyone. But he's going to he will be in a position next year to try to earn a starting oh, job. Yeah, but for sure. but the current freshman linebackers and make no mistake. Here's the other thing. I mean, you had Bauer and Lamb, Bauer Lamb and Agufo in camp in the spring, so they got a good long look at them at that time. And I I know they're high on Lamb and Bauer in particular. And Simon has impressed, we can talk about this a little bit more later, but I mean among the freshmen, but Simon has impressed 
them as well. So, you know, and you talk, Pete, you're talking about developmental players. I mean, everybody needs to develop to a certain extent, but Equanu is not, he wouldn't fall into the category of developmental player. I think he's a legit four-star player. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say Jack Lamb is a developmental player, even though he's a four-star player, because he's longer, leaner, True. has a lot of room. That That's sort of, it's more of a developmental body type versus developmental right. skill set. Okay. I think it's a big yeah. distinction to, yeah. to make. Is there any other breaking news here in the last 10 days? I'm not sure that there's anything that's... Well, if you've been driven by Notre Dame, they... Uh... That indoor facility is going up like overnight yeah, almost. I did. I drove by the other day. That's yeah, it's incredible. Going up, it's going up quickly now. Well, we also have been in our summer podcast. We've been talking about going through two opponents uh, per podcast. And the next two on the list uh, are Pittsburgh and Navy. And Pittsburgh, Pete, are... are uh, uncomfortable t- and uncomfortable. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. You're not kidding. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, is he a living, breathing... He is living and breathing. He is, because yes. he beat Miami he last year. Yes. So, yes. I mean, that's the that's the first thing right there. Is that, he tall, like Daniel yeah. Jones was in our podcast? I don't think, no, I don't think no. he's that I don't He's think tall, he's that so he can... Tall. What does tall mean? Well, I could beat Brian Van Gorder. He's tall. But he did, uh, even though Pittsburgh lost... Three of their last four, including the Pinstripe Bowl and Northwestern game that they, um, no, not not Northwestern, but um, uh, they did lose three of their last four, and Kenny Pickett led them to victory over Miami. Seven days after the debacle. Yeah, yeah. yeah we watched yeah. that from the press box. Thinking to ourselves, and maybe they, you know, strange. I guess maybe Miami was was uh, ripe that day. But Pat Narduzzi entering his fourth year. Pittsburgh coming off a of five and seven. Season their front seven on defense returns intact, and that's they need that because they only had 23 sacks last year and they gave up almost 27 points per game. So they're a veteran defensive uh, front seven. They have the quarterback Kenny Pickett, who's only a sophomore, that gives them a lot of um, hope that they're going to improve upon their 23.9 points per game. Backup quarterback, you guys remember uh, at Pittsburgh right yeah. now? It's Ricky Town. Yeah, Ricky Town, the old USC high four-star commit. He's been everywhere. Well, he has been everywhere, yeah. And I would imagine, you know, I mean, Kenny Pickett looks like he's their guy, but he just doesn't have enough playing experience to know that. Who knows? Maybe he's not the quarterback by the time Notre Dame plays him. But, you know, when you talk about Notre Dame's schedule and how difficult it is, you name a bunch of teams, you go through at least half a dozen teams before you mention Pittsburgh. But, again, Pittsburgh beat Miami last year when Miami was undefeated. And they handed Clemson its only loss in 2016, a 14-1 season for Clemson at 43-42. So no gimmies, regardless where it's played. Um, Pittsburgh, especially with a quality defensive front seven, and two returning guys in the secondary that that have some experience and can play. And Notre Dame connections. Uh, DeMar Hamlin. Back, I believe he moved from corner to safety. Uh, He was a guy that Notre Dame really liked out of – Pittsburgh Central Classic, David Adams, Kurt Heinisch uh, were teammates of his. And then Paris Ford, who's a relative of uh, Darren Walls, is is playing back there as well. So it's um, their secondary was real bad last year. I think they replaced two coaches at the back end. But, I mean, they, you look at – they allowed, I think, 7.8 yards per attempt, which was 103rd in the country last year. And they were in triple digits and 10-yard completions allowed – 20-yard completions allowed, and they were 118th nationally in 30-yard completions allowed. And I think a lot of that ties in with, you know, 23 sacks is not awful, but, I mean, it's not, it's not a big number per se, and I think a lot of it is just, and you can't base it just upon sacks. It's how frequently they put pressure on the quarterback, and I don't think they did that regularly, and that always puts a, puts a secondary on an island. And they lost 
I think without question their best player back there in Jordan Whitehead who went pro who was a sort of a safety do everything scored I think a touchdown against Notre Dame in 2015 on like a sort of gadgety type play he was a, a legit two-way player for them um that's the day Will Fuller had 14 touchdowns against one-on-one coverage yeah right? <laughs> yeah that's that is the day you you remember it well um he wasn't in uh, Avante Maddox. They they lost also. Yeah. Both him and Whitehead were drafted. Yeah. So I mean Pittsburgh is, it's not quite into my category of well, what are we doing here? No. But it's not. if you lose that, game, that's yeah. not a game you can lose no, this and have a good season. I mean, it's sort Never. of like not it, on any season. You're right. Not, it would be a loss schedule, akin to losing to Pittsburgh in 2013, where could you still have a a good season if you lost to Pittsburgh? Yeah, but could you have a great season? No. I find that to be the most forgettable season of the Kelly era, and I think only because that happened. It was, look, they lost that year. They lost to Oklahoma. Great, whatever. That happens. They lost to Michigan. Maddening. That can happen. Mm -hmm. They lost to Stanford when Notre Dame was beaten up. That can happen. That would have been a fine year had they beaten Pittsburgh. Right? They would have finished 10-3. and They yeah. would have had back-to-back 10 wins. Exactly. Yeah. However, it's just a memory of that game. and The famous uh, Stefan Tua targeting. That's, that, that right. That's right. That was that game. Eliminated him from competition he accidentally, fairly early he accidentally in the game. tackled yeah. someone. Yeah. 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 Um, the thing about the Pittsburgh game this year, and if you try to, on top of a veteran defense, and just Narduzzi's feelings about Notre Dame, going in, if, that, if that's part of it at all, look where the game is slotted. I know it's, it's right before the bye, which, I don't know, that's innocuous. It comes after Stanford and Virginia Tech. Notre Dame's season is going in a certain trajectory at that point, right? After Stanford and Virginia Tech? Yes. Something is going to have happened in game six, where they are a contender or they just fell out of being a contender. So either you're saying either way. Either way, fell. this game stinks where it's put on the schedule. <laughs> it is not a great team to play in this spot. This is but play Pitt week two and put Ball State week. Why don't they let me make a schedule? Yeah. Play Pitt week two and play Ball State oh, yeah. in week whenever, seven. Whenever you want to play, sure, can, we'll no, play. No, yeah, let me do it. I can figure this out. It's not that hard. Yeah. I can matrix yeah. out and put a big PowerPoint presentation if up. We could, if fine. we could dip back into tying in with what you're saying here, Tim, dip back into Virginia Tech. The, the last time we had a podcast and talked about them, they have now lost Mook Reynolds, their whip, uh, one of their linebackers. He was dismissed from the team. Cornerback Adonis Alexander is gone for academics. Junior college cornerback transfer that was going to uh, – step into the starting lineup, Jeremy Webb tore his Achilles. And this is after losing the Edmonds brothers, two first-round draft choices, uh, a linebacker that was second-team All-ACC and second on the team in tackles, first-team All-ACC ACC cornerback Greg Stroman, Tim Settle up the middle uh, on their defensive line. They have lost a ton yep. of people on the defensive side of the ball. My main feeling about the game is I wouldn't think anything of it if it was after a bye, if it was somewhere else earlier, but it follows ACC true road game, Stanford ACC true road game. That adds up sometimes, and it's this this crowd will not be anything like the Stanford crowd. It's right. just, you, you've been to enough Notre Dame games to know <laughs> yeah. what this crowd is like right now. Or we the can, Virginia Tech crowd the week before. Right. We can look at the game right now. If Notre Dame's undefeated, the crowd still will not be what it needs to be for a game yeah. like this. And then, of course, the week after Navy, we all know the Navy doesn't have enough talent to compete with Notre Dame, and Notre Dame couldn't possibly lose a game to Navy. Yeah. I mean, it's also a trap game for the media because we're going to be looking at Pittsburgh. We're looking ahead to San Diego. Two yeah, weeks I, in advance. I'm not sure we're all going to be at the Pittsburgh game. <laughs> <laughs> right? What's the flight time? Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, by the way, I'm leaving on Thursday. I'm not leaving. Not Wednesday anymore. No, I know there was some. Ruins kind of, the podcast. Yeah, I know. Somebody, somebody was taking bets on when I was yeah. leaving, and I, it's, gonna, it's just going to be Thursday. <laughs> I mean, Navy is. It, 
they're coming off one of their worst seasons under Ken Niamatololo, seven and six. Um, and it's, it's interesting to sort of like mine their statistics a little bit. I mean, they had, they had injuries at quarterback. Malcolm Perry's their guy. Didn't really figure it out until the, the end of the season. But like one of the real staples of Navy is like how disciplined they are. They've, they were finished number one or number two in penalties against all 10 years under Niamatololo, except for last year when they were number eight. And I think the perception is like, well, they're still top 10. But right. that is a huge fall for them because the way they run their team, they have to be perfect you know what the number, at all times. Do you know what the number of, of penalties? penalties compared to the previous year? No, what was it? No, I don't, I don't oh. know. I'm just I'm asking if it was, it was drastic. I mean, yeah, I think your, I, your point's taken. I don't – I probably sit here, I go through the, the each position every summer. And how are they good? I mean, I just uh, – you know, I mean – When that quarterback I, is – No, I mean, Reynolds, I get Malcolm it. I, we've seen it a million times to understand, but – I, apparently, Zach Aby's going to play wide receiver. Zach, I'm, yeah. I'd move him to fullback. I that would, dude's a beast. Their fullback does come back. But yeah. I will say this. I am a little surprised Niamatololo is not trying to find a way to use them both. I think Zach Aby will be a short yardage quarterback because he's in that brute, yeah, like, brute yeah, force. Yeah. And, and that can save Malcolm Perry, who is a little smaller from total getting – I mean – and rarely can't, and, and can't throw at all. Rarely at does all. Notre, rarely does Navy's quarterback kind of make it to November unscathed because they take so many hits. Mm-hmm. Abby can take hits off of Perry, who Nemat Tololo called in the offseason the most dynamic runner we've ever had here. Yeah. Which consider Keenan Reynolds, Ricky Dobbs. That's a big that's a pretty big uh, to answer Priester's question about penalties, they had thirty nine penalties in twenty sixteen and fifty three penalties last year. Okay, that's difference. significant. Actually, that's I mean, significant. For, I mean you think yeah. about how the Notre Dame games have come down the last yeah. few years against Navy, like if you put one holding penalty on a third and two fullback run that went for four that negates it, like that's a huge, huge deal. So I mean that's you would think they would if you did something in an eleven year sample set, if you did something one way for ten years and one way for one year, you would think the following year would be back to the 10 years. Really what this game comes down to for me, and what last year's did, if, if Notre Dame could have played Navy, this is another scheduling situation that accidental, if Notre Dame just could have played Navy before the fallout of Miami when they were rolling, I think Notre Dame's offense would have put up 45 and it wouldn't have mattered that Navy did other things. Six possessions, six touchdowns was how good Notre Dame's offense was before Miami, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A good Notre Dame team, healthy with a week to prepare, there's a bye week, you mentioned it, there's a bye week in between Pitt and Navy, you just got to score to beat Navy. You can't let them get in the game where it's close. The Notre Dame last year did not allow anything to Navy's offense. That was a very good defensive plan. They just couldn't get them off the field. But Navy was patient to get those 3-4, 3-4, 3-4. It keeps you in the game if you're not scoring. Right. People forget Notre Dame was behind in the middle of the third quarter of this game. Scored the final 14 points and really won because of some heads-up defense on a trick play that was going to tie the game late. And no. you know for a fact Navy was going for two in the win, which just would have been quite a moment in that stadium. That would have been difficult. So, no, and I don't, you know, I mean, on one hand, you say, okay, you should be able to run the football against Navy. You're bigger up front. You should be able to do that. But they're perennially awful against the pass. And so you should be able to absolutely abuse them in a passing game. And I don't think that that, that doesn't happen often enough. Their best, their best area on the, on the team is their defensive line. They have nose guard, Jackson Pittman. And defensive end uh, Jarvis Palu and and I mean they're pretty good up front, but man they don't they, they they lost seven starters on offense. They lost four of their top five tacklers on defense. 
I don't know. I, these uh, are just Malcolm words. Malcolm Perry's bad. He, I know. Perry it's just words. I know they're words because yeah. it ultimately doesn't mean anything because they have a way of... Yeah, they do. It's words coming out of my mouth. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag analysis. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, because they're... They're always there. It's an impossible game to handicap until you're sitting there watching it. You can't. Think, oh yeah, no wonder. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. Makes. Although there are times when Notre Dame scores fifty against them and yeah. blows them out. There, but, there's two know, games I, where Notre Dame was just so much better than a bad Navy team, 2011 and 12. That wasn't Navy. Just like you can't really say 2010 Notre Dame and Navy is a viable comparison anymore. Notre Dame's never going to play like that again against Navy, where they just have no answer whatsoever for anything, right. and they look actually like the worst football team. Yeah, I mean, here's the, the problem. Speaking, Navy gets speaking of Bob Diaco. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the issue. Like, Notre Dame was really, really good last year, and Navy was yeah, was pretty bad. They were broken at that point. And they were was, a broken team. It was a one-score game. It was, oh, it was a one-play game, but they were kind of broken at that point, Notre Dame. That was a, they were right. Sure. They were right. Yeah, I, I agree, but it's, it, it's just, I get, you know, the bye week, I think we spend a lot of time like, well, who the bye week should be against? And a lot of time it's, it's USC in the middle of the season. You're like, well, that's good, but... I mean, ultimately, maybe Navy is the best. This is the best. Is the yeah, best. This, is the good, this is good scheduling to give credit where... Uh, and it's fall break, I believe. Yeah, which, on yeah. top of that, is, uh, is a positive. I so, agree. I mean, you think about all the time they spend in practice, like, all right, it's Navy period in August. We're playing them in two maybe months. Maybe they can do that a little bit less because of that, that, that cushion, that buffer yeah. that you have. So Pittsburgh's the problem now. Yeah. Okay, we're good. All right, we'll, we're going to stop worrying about Navy and Pittsburgh for a minute here, take a break. We'll come back with questions for our readers. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is one of 400 along these lines, and it's always fun at this time of year from Who JND Fan. Summer workouts, give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I paraphrase. What, what is happening? <laughs> Pete, let's start. Yeah. Why don't we let's start with the freshmen? Uh, yeah. Some of the things that, that we've gotten so, feedback on. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Jerkovic was one we've already talked about, just like he looks really good. Um, you know, and I, I've Brian Kelly himself told me that he's the guy he wants players to be around. Like, he's he's sort of the the linchpin that okay, just act like this guy, be around this guy. That's that's a good thing. It's a great for, sign for any player, yeah. but specifically your quarterback. Um, Shane Simon, I don't I don't know if this is a huge surprise, but just how much like to the degree of excitement around him uh, at Notre Dame, I think is surprising because it's. I mean, the feedback that I got was like, this is one of the best players I may have ever coached uh, wow. from somebody on We all staff. loved Shane Simon, though. Yeah. That's... And, like, he's got, he's got the whole package in terms of what you want a Notre Dame football player to be like. Um, so those are, those are two. I think other than that, I think if there was a surprise to me, if you told me this in January, it would be a real surprise. Uh, after spring practice, less surprise. Uh, Bo Bauer continues to really impress the staff, which I, I, I think on film we're all like, yeah, okay, maybe a little stiff. Is he going to grow? I don't really know, but he's he's been really really good. I think what was fun about our um, freshman rankings this year was how different they finally were. Yeah, because we were all over the place on some of the, I had Flemister and Bauer high. I had guys like Tackix lower. I I had Jameer Smith lower. It was just guys that were all over the place on, and I it's, I mean that's really the way the world works, right? Because Last, what, last year we were all pretty high on Darnell Ewell, weren't we, coming in? Uh, it, it, yeah. It's, it's just kind of a – it's an interesting class to try to look at and, and see how they can 
they don't have to all hit right away. You need a few, but it's, it's next year. A lot of these soft guys that are kind of be sophomores are going to be very important. I've said this before. I, I find that the, the hardest pitch, position for me to evaluate is Mike linebackers because they're generally they're playing Mike because they're bigger and not necessarily really speedy. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I went into the spring knowing Bauer was an early entry and not sure what we were going to see. It was very, and I thought he was very, very impressive. Uh, I know there was one time, Pete, I think when you said about him overrunning some plays, I think in the blue goal game, Bo Bauer. He's an aggressive dude. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm, ju I'm just saying that, I, you know, other than that, I, I think that everybody's been very impressed with him. I think our staff was. He just has a great thirst for contact which is exactly what you'd like out of a Mike linebacker, and I think he's going to be able to live up to that. The other freshman early enrollees, the feedback that I've got on Lamb and Agufu, because those aren't really guys we talked about in spring ball. They weren't, they weren't that close. I mean, Lamb's outlook is, if I redshirt, great. I would, yeah. I, like, I would almost prefer to redshirt. Play four-game redshirt or try straight up, not quite ready to roll? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's no difference between them yeah. to me. Um, so just have a fifth-year option down the road. That's Lamb's cool with that. And Obi Agufu, I... I got to, I barely got to know him at the opening a year ago. I hesitate to even like say I got to know him at all. Um, he was a, he was just a very difficult guy for me to read. When I talked to him, I'm like, all right, is this guy gonna really take to Notre Dame? Is he not? I'm not really sure what the, I just had no concept of what his personality is. Talking to people that have been around him here, apparently he's fitting in great. Um, and I think he went out to California to hang out with Lamb's family when they had a little bit of a break. I think that's all That's all good stuff. Yeah, early enrollment um, probably helps in these situations. Exactly. I think that the early enrollee group, from what I can tell talking to people around Notre Dame, is very close. They all feel like they're in it together, very similar outlooks. Um, and so I think in terms of you know who's impressed just football-wise, it's Bauer, and Houston Griffith. Those those are the two. Oh, Houston Griffith. Is I wanted to, I, I wanted to kind of echo and add to what what you said or the feedback regarding Shane Simon and, and, and another aspect or a more specific aspect of what what he's done up to this point is that he's really impressed him in the weight room and the physical conditioning part of it and his attitude is is such that okay, it's today, I am not going to allow this day to go by without getting better physically. Now, when you, when you get feedback like that from the coaching staff, I mean, that's just, that's outstanding. And the other thing is, there's an unselfish attitude where he's expressed, you know, whatever, whatever my role, I don't care, it doesn't matter what my role is as a freshman, tell me what my role is and I'll execute it for you. When you hear stuff like that, I mean, you have to be really impressed with him. And the thing about Lamb I mean, physically, he's just not ready, but athletically, they love him. And they think from, a, from an athleticism standpoint, once he grows in, into his body a little bit more, he has star potential. On that topic, I did a Monday Musings point where I said if you broke the roster, the 45 most valuable guys right now and going forward, I didn't. I only included about ten freshmen because uh, if you don't, if you're making a roster and you're like, you're like yeah. you know how you say top half of the roster, yeah. who can you lose? I only included about 10 freshmen because Brian Kelly won't have a job if I included all the freshmen and no Tavon Coney or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have Lamb, and I got a quick note from someone oh, inside right, right, the program right. that read it and said, you missed on one, Jack Lamb. And I think that, and that's because he's the developmental hmm. piece. He's like, you look, he doesn't play in this yeah, year. But, I understand but, your point, but right. I he mean, was telling it, me to take off one freshman no matter what for Jack Lamb, basically, which was an Well, but for point. the purpose of what you were, yes, you yeah, were yeah. listing a top 45, I get Another it. good Lamb point, though, that yeah. someone's like, you missed yeah. one guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, in terms of of some of the veteran players, the guy that 
as you all know, I've been really high on since the spring Troy Pride Jr., and we're getting nothing but very promising reviews on where he's Your gone. pride is Pete's Tillery when you two go yes. back and forth on yeah. who you're not uh, <laughs> sure about. <laughs> I, have, I have pride in Troy Pride. No, I just, and you know, what he's done, what he's done in the weight room, you know, because he's running track, and I think that they felt like that was a, that was a shortcoming of his that he wasn't developing physically strength-wise. He's bridged the gap this spring. I, I, you and I can, I think you and I, Peter, are kind of on some of the same names. So yeah, I'll throw that I mean, name Pride out. was, I don't know if you read Bruce Feldman's Freaks List. Wait, I saw um, he was on there. That's like a bit, it's a sort of a, Bruce is a national guy who was like all about weight room and knowing yeah. strength, like every strength coach in America. Jalen was on it back in the day. Right. Uh, and so he just sort of rundown of these guys are really impressing the strength staffs at their various schools. And Pride made the list. Now that um, includes conditioning and yeah, speed. The whole no, thing. The right, whole thing. Like right, just right. like athleticism. So obviously he's narrowed the gap. Uh, big time. Strength-wise. Yeah, big time. So, I, you know, I mean, when you talk about you talk about Notre Dame's three cornerbacks and throw Crawford yeah. in there who's a nickel with, with Julian Love, I mean, that's why, I, you know, the first rate uh, when I did the DBs, I didn't know exactly. I go into those not knowing where Notre Dame's going to fit until you see the other teams. That trio, of, those trio of corners, that's, I mean, that's about as impressive as you're going to get nationally. That's a, in terms of yeah, a Sean trio Crawford of corners third, there. And he's actually Sean Crawford? Yeah. Like first half of the season, yeah. Sean Crawford. Hopefully, that is he's bigger nice... and stronger too. You know, a couple of Nordic defensive ends were hearing some positive things on Khalid Kareem and Julian Okwara. Tim, when when we first got together here today, what a Julian Okwara? Did I say it to you, or did I say it to somebody else? I mean, he need he needs to be an eight to ten sack guy for them. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's his skill. I would expect to see him. We're not going to be saying, wow, he's lost a lot of weight. I don't think we're going to say that anymore. Seems like he might have gotten Elston's hint. Not yeah, Elston why, yeah. He, he, he needs to be hint. big. He needs right. to be big now. Yeah, <laughs> so I, you know, I expect him to, and it's a junior year, second, third year yeah. playing. I expect him to have a breakout year. Maybe we're kind of, uh, maybe it's more hopeful that Khalid Kareem's going to have a breakout. I don't think it is because every, <laughs> as we noted, he was coming on last year to the point we kept looking at each other in the press box. Wow. Khalid Kareem keeps making plays. And then you talk to all the linemen, and they all say he's the hardest guy to block. Yeah. And they all say it's innate hand placement and slippery. They call him slippery. Plus, he's a big, strong guy. Well, remember I mean, when it's... we were saying, well, he looks like a defensive tackle. And he was adamant that he was not a defensive <laughs> tackle, and we know why. Right. Yeah. yeah, no question. Uh, I guess let's get into Twitter questions. The first one is a combination quarterback question from the Mighty Quinn, who wants to know... Please tell me there will only be one starting quarterback all year. And Kevin Simonson, who says, am I wrong to have a sense of paranoia that we could see a Dane, Chris, Tom, Reese replay from the 2011 season against Michigan? The, the latter question, if that happens, I know what we're doing here. <laughs> Something bad. Because they cannot have a situation where Brandon Wimbush, like, it's not fair. I know Michigan's going to be the best defense he faces. But you, you cannot have a situation where Brandon Wimbush is your man all the spring, all the summer, all of August. And when it's ten nothing at the half, or zero zero at the half, you think I gotta get that guy out of the game and put it in your yeah. book because that's gonna mess the whole season up. So you're saying that what? will not happen. Um, I don't think Brandon Wimbush is going to pull Miami against Michigan. I don't think it's gonna be his best game by a wide margin because it's illogical to think that's gonna be mm -hmm. his best game. But I think Brandon Wimbush can lead them to a win. Um, I agree that Brian Kelly will have a hook because. Why not? I don't understand why you can't pull a quarterback that's proven that maybe he can't get it done once well, that, in a while. Yeah, that, I mean, that I would... just don't think it's going to be. Look, Dane Christ was horrid in that game against South Florida. He had to come out of the game. Yeah. And as we know from hearing it in the past, he wasn't going to come out of the game if not for the nine-hour delay 
that they had. Just all of a sudden you're talking, their conversations going on in the locker room back and forth, and they kind of look like, man, this isn't going to work out. They He's too, not pulling that. They right? have too much time to think about under those circumstances. I'd like to be able to think, you know, I mean, I think Chip Long has kind of hinted in a conversation that, um, yeah, if Wimbush is struggling, we need to win a football game. We got we oh, have put quarterback I, I in to win so, a football game. I don't game. think you're looking at it right away. I don't. I don't think buyer's remorse. They had buyer's remorse, but they didn't go with Tommy Reese. Is what happened. Brian Kelly had looked around and thought I should have gone with Tommy Reese when they were just getting waxed by South Florida. They couldn't stop throwing picks. Um, in the I, I think he did not like anything that Dane Chris yeah. was showing him, including in the locker room at halftime yeah. as well. Um, I just think, and that's like that's with, just a tough situation. It man. is, I mean, and I think if you did that with Wimbush against Michigan, it would be over. That's my point. It'll be over. It, it I know what we're done. looking at if that happens. Because look, I remember last it year it was done for Chris too. Last though. year, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We talked. Um, I, I might have asked a question like, "What's in November? What's going on with Wimbush? Is this physical? Is this mental?" And Kelly's answer was, "It's physical. Mentally, he's fine. Like this is these are physical mistakes he needs to correct." Well, I sat down with him. BK this week, and I, I asked him basically the same question. He says, this is the quote, a lot of this has to do with his continued growth mentally. It has nothing to do with the f- his physical ability. We all know that. His inability to do things last year may have seemed physical. They had nothing to do with the physical. That's where he is. there's a different guy, a much more mature and confident guy. I thought he had, beginning to I thought he had mechanical issues. We, all, we always do. Apparently they weren't. We, we, no, we, 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 we said mental for three months. Yeah, we always do. And, and, and I, mean, I, get, I get the answer at the time. Oh, yeah, you say yeah. mental in November, yeah. it's over. It's Especially head, after Miami. As a head, ah, coach, bed. As a head <laughs> coach, you can't do that. And we, you know, we joke about a lot of the things oh, that come out of his mouth. But in every instance with a head coach, there are times where you just can't. You, you just can't share reality with everybody, right. even if we, even if everybody knows what the yeah. reality is. But th- this, I think that quote is the reality, and I think that reality would lend itself if 2011 South Florida happens, oh. and he's like, we got to make a change at halftime to save this game. I don't think you would be able to go back to Brandon. Right. I, that can't happen, though, for the season. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty enlightening. Let's jump to a much more upbeat topic. It's from Jonathan Finch. Do you have a go-to Mexican restaurant picked out for San Diego yet? We are taking... Requ- we are taking... Um, yeah, we're close. Any ideas we're you close. may have, we would like them submitted to us all. Yeah. Yes. I was in, if you're well, listening, if you're listening tell us. Give us some good ones. Unless there's, I was in San Diego like 30 years ago. So, where, where did you unless go? Where did you go? I don't have the slightest <laughs> idea. Do you want to make their flight yet? I was looking at it. I booked it. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I booked mine too. Do you book yours yet? Yeah. <laughs> so you know when you're leaving Tuesday, right? <laughs> no, I'm leaving. I can't wait. Next question. Chris Tammy wants to know, Exclude Brandon Wimbush. What player would make you most pessimistic about the season if you went to Culver and he had a brutal showing? Uh, well, a couple guys that come to mind <laughs> offensively. Boyk and Claypool. I mean, if those guys... Uh, if Claypool's like second string when we show up... Yeah, I mean, that, that would be... We know what that means. Yeah. Well, let me just... Throw, <laughs> I'll start by throwing that out and turn it over to you guys. That, that would be really disappointing because then you would be mitigating... Progress made by Brandon Wimbush. Right. I think we will see Dexter Williams running second string for obvious reasons. I if I see Claypool running second string more than even in practice number one. I mean, got to be what in the world is going on in life if he hasn't developed yeah. to the point where he is one of the three starting wide receivers entering camp. So that would be a problem. But he's not going to have a bad camp. He's in fact he will look great in drills. Chase Claypool he always does. Alizé Mack will look great in drills. He always does. Mm-hmm. So I think if, I mean, if we're consistently watching someone we really count on, 
I would throw. I, uh, Liam it, Eikenberg, if he has a horrible game, would yeah, be a problem that, for game yeah. one, and that they'll lose. So that's a problem. I would. Uh, Alohi Gilman would be really high oh, on my list. That's a good call. I, I need to see him above what we've Elliot seen. and, and, and Coleman and what we've seen. Uh, and he was a guy to get back to the summer stuff that the coaches really like. I think it's, it, that's an interesting one to me because what we've seen it doesn't seem to really jive. But it's been fine. We don't want to make it. Look, we don't want to make it. We, out of this we world. see like four percent of what's happening. Right. Right. Um, so that's, well, I, that would be high. Minutes. I mean, I'd throw Jalen Elliott as well because sure. he's been such an inconsistent. I can just tackler. see that happening though, as opposed to yeah. The, uh, I mean, he's been such an. I understand. And look, that the reason he's a starter now is because he does have good knowledge of the system. And obviously proves that on a daily basis to to the uh, to Terry Joseph, but um, he's got to be a more consistent tackler. I'd also throw Dalen Hayes' name in there as That's somebody that, yeah, that, like that that you know when you talk about okay, hey, third year, he's really going to emerge. I feel strongly that Julian Oquara will do that in his role, especially in his yeah Nickel certainly in his role. right yeah. in his role Julian Quar is not an every down right which means Dalen Hayes kind of has to be. which means Dalen Hayes has to be that guy I will throw one more name out there because I didn't think he was great in the spring but whatever uh Sean Crawford if Sean Crawford isn't a nickel like he was in September mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame's gonna have some troubles along the way trying to defend Stanford USC Quarterbacks with the pulse, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I it's one thing. You need a good nickel, and he's your best backup cornerback, too. I, it's one thing for Nick uh, Nick Coleman to train at that, but yeah, you still absolutely have to have a lockdown. I mean, Crawford's your lockdown guy. He's the guy. He's a difference maker when he's right. When the, when the play's in the middle of the field and the wide receiver is deciding whether to go left or right, he's the guy yeah. that can go with this yeah. receiver left or right. Totally agree. Uh my last Twitter question is from Ryan, and he wants to know, during the Brian Kelly era, Notre Dame wins 10 games and regresses the next. If that happens again, what would your perspective be on the regime moving forward? I mean, I, I think it would be okay if they win nine games this year, but I think they are going to win but more games this year than next year. I'll just interrupt you. Are we saying nine and three regular season? Yeah, I can't count the pinstripe situations. Eight win regular season is a what are we doing here. Okay. Right. Always. It's year nine. Because they won nine in the regular season last year. It was a strong nine. It was. It you was know, a real strong it nine. It was a really strong nine. Um, I think they have to win nine in the regular season for me to think, all right, good, you know, solid, good job. Uh, a little bit disappointing because you want to build on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 1 bowl, in the technicality of a January 1 bowl is the best you're going to do again. Yeah. But there's nothing, not that the, not, there's, not, there's anything wrong with it. It's just not what you're looking for, but eight is a huge deal. Eight wins, so four losses either that means you're losing to four of your five peers that we've outlined, I, or you drop one or two to someone you shouldn't. I know that everybody won, you know, ten wins, and if they won ten consistently, yeah, ten and two makes everybody happy, right? That's fine. But if you did that consistently, then eleven, then you'd be pointing to eleven. But, and I've said this, and I'll say it again. I don't, I don't. The names that are on Notre Dame's schedule, I don't know that their talent matches up with those names. And yet, having said that, it's still Florida State, Michigan, Northwestern on the road, Pittsburgh's capable, Stanford, at USC, at Virginia Tech, I'm gonna, and at Wake Forest. I think and at Navy. Wake Forest is going to – and Navy is always a possibility. Navy just, ruins other things, Pete. They don't have to lose to Navy to ruin everything. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so my point of that is I agree. I think 9-3 – you know, if you go, you don't think it's a massive step back if they go nine and three, though, do you? 
Uh, that's kind of what's intimated here, right? That they have to win. You know, I, I don't think you can just put a number on it. I think it comes down to style points and who they lost to and how they lost to them and who they beat. And You know, you're right. Last year was really strong. When you beat NC State and USC or USC and, Michigan, and NC and State, State back-to-back weeks and beat the crap yeah. out of them, mm-hmm. now it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, it's... What do you think with eight wins regular season? Eight and four, yeah, right. Uh, All eight, size. Eight wins would be real bad. Eight. There's no. There's no scenario where you could look at it and be like eight wins, but it was a strong eight. Like that. No, that doesn't exist. No. Could you say it was a strong nine? Yeah. Yeah. You could. could. I mean, but it would have to. It would really have to be a narrow scope of beat Michigan, lose at Virginia Tech. Maybe you stub your toe against at Northwestern and then lose at USC. Like people so, aren't going. So you're beating Stanford, Florida State, accept. Michigan. Yeah, you made an okay if, argument if there. If you yeah. said Notre Dame swept Stanford, Michigan, and Florida State and went nine and three, you would be like, "Oh, yeah, okay." Because yeah. there's just disappointment the, in Northwestern. But the, the loss at Northwestern would, would over would override. It'd be a like lot Pitt, of it'd be losing at Pittsburgh in, right. in 2013. Well, I wrote this right. week they're going to lose one of the predictions in the 20 prediction series is they're going to lose to either Northwestern or Florida State as a result of Navy. They're losing one of those two games, well, in my opinion. I, I don't think anybody would be surprised at that. There's a track record of things That's like why. that happening. Yeah. yeah. Golden by name, if you could choose one of the following recurring BKRA or challenges to reverse for this season, which would you choose? One, a below-average November performance. Two, inconsistent quarterback play and development. Three, lack of consistent quarterback pressure and DN performance. And four, beating coaching peers such as Harbaugh and Shaw. I will rank them one to four, and my my top one is basically what I just said in the previous answer. Peers would be number one. Because there's more than two peers. Yeah. Also. But if your peer, if you're knocking off Shaw and Harbaugh. He's two and six against them. That would be big. Uh, two would be the November collapse. Um, you could make an argument that that should be number one. And then quarterback play three and DN pressure four. If I can say there's five or six peers, then I would say that one. But since not, I think Notre Dame needs to finish strong. Uh, and if they don't, there's some issues because November is a bunch of pitfalls. So I would do November number one. Let's remember November is two road games, a home game against Florida State, and a neutral site game. That is a walking recipe for a problem. So that's my number one. Uh, beating his coaching peers, four and one against peers. What? You figure Michigan, Stanford, I mean, are his peers Fuente? Or not? He's sure. Yeah, so Justin Fuente's a peer. Um, Clay Helton, because the program's a peer, certainly. Willie Taggart's not a peer, I don't think, but Florida State certainly is, right? Yeah. So if you're, yeah, if you go, if you're three and two and you win your other games, that's a good season. That's kind of what we're hinted at. And then whatever you want to do. Quarterback play is inconsistent. They're not going to do any of these things, right? No. So, well, no, I just see quarterback play, I, I debated. Flipping defensive end pressures yeah. in quarterback play because they've mucked through bad quarterback play before, no problem. That's true. I'd like to see what they do with good defensive end play because the last time I saw it was 2012 and they went to the national championship yeah. game. So here we go, number four is quarterback play. Yeah. Well, and and, and safety plays not even mentioned in here. Although, and I, this I'm veering off a little bit here, but you know, Notre Dame was one of five teams last year that did not give up a, a pass play of longer than 50 yards. Which always goes back to what you were saying, Pete, throughout the season that they're 
they're finding ways to mitigate the issues on the back end of the defense. I mean, and that's one of them. That and that that stat to me, I think on paper you'd be like, well, their safety play must have been good because they didn't go to big plays. That's not how I see that at all. I say that they did such a good job of covering up for their safety plays. Right. That's no, why right. they didn't go up that yeah, Right, right. And that's the bottom line. The other thing is that Notre Dame finished 16th nationally in yards per attempt, which I think again would be surprising when you when you think about put an umbrella play. over yeah. your defense. Right. Exactly. So that's neither here nor there, and has nothing to do with the question. But <laughs> are you peers uh, or, or uh, November then? I, I mean, like I see. I, Pete yeah. makes a good, a, a, a persuasive argument, but I've got to go to November first, just because it's so consistently been a problem, and they've lost on the road, which is you know the the differentiator between a good coach and a great coach. Then I then I put coaching Pierce second, and I would. I would put QB play third because I think it's so important, and I would put the defensive end performance last because I think that's one that you can compensate for. Now you're not going to be you're not going to be a great team if you don't have right. a great pass rush. Right. But yeah, I'm not sure that we're talking about great team here in 2018 per se. How dare you! All right, next one is from Dashing Domer. Obvious differences in experience and current job titles aside, which Notre Dame assistant do you feel has the highest ceiling as a future head coach? I think. Uh, Boy, this is, it's difficult. I think we're looking at... Let's remove ceiling and just say who could be the best future head coach. Because ceiling is always just looking at upsides, and that's like recruiting. And that drives me crazy. I, I, well, I'm, I'm going to throw out a name, but we don't have enough of a track record really to completely validate it. It's just more of a hunch about the personality of Clark Lee and the guy that he is and the way that I, we see the players responding to him. I find him to be such a unique interview. You know, I mean, the feedback that you get from questions, it's just like... Damn, I never thought of that, or, or that's something I've never heard somebody say. And so I think that he has a uniqueness to him that I would lean towards him as number one. A, a lot of people would say, well, why isn't it Chip Long? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just not sure. Now those personalities are very, very different, Clark Lee, in him, yep. right? Yes. I mean, you would, <laughs> you would think that the the more cerebral, low key guy, Clark Lee, would be on offense. And Chip Long, the fiery guy that's going to get into the back end of a you know a, a defense, uh, you or know, or his quarterback, or his quarterback, yeah. Um, so I would, you know, I'm not sure how well that plays in today's with today's athletes. So I would pick Lee one. I would probably pick Elston two, uh, because I think I think Elston has a lot of that that personality that fits today's head coach. And then I would put Long three. And if Brian Polian hears this. He'll really never talk to me again. I'm going to go Mike Elston because I said it nine years ago and I don't like to be wrong. Um, but I know I like Elston's. Um, he's kind of had his hand in every aspect of a program. And I think he did a great job under the worst circumstances ever when he took over for Brian Van Gorder. I just think he would be a good head coach. I don't know. That's why I took out ceiling. I don't think he's ever going to coach at USC. But I just think he'd be a really yeah. good head college football coach. You didn't, Pete, you didn't hear what I said at the end, that I didn't include Polian. Oh, I heard years. it. I heard it. <laughs> Well, I, but I, I'm curious if Pauline heard it. Um, he won't hear it. Uh, I would go, my personal opinion would be Lee number one. However, I sort of, when I talked to Brian Kelly, I asked about Elston, and he said, in my 26 years of being a head coach, I have never had an assistant more ready to be a head coach than Mike Elston. And I was like, well, you've had somebody. He's like, I have never, you just repeat it. It's like, I have never 
had an assistant coach more ready to be a head coach than Mike Elston. So great minds think alike. While my opinion is Clark Lee, I'm going to defer to the head coach of Notre Dame on this one and go and to Mobali and say that Mike Elston is the guy. But I, I agree what with what Priester is saying is there's something about Clark Lee. It's it's not it's not a um, and it's not like when we talk to Mike Sanford where you think a guy sounds like a head coach. When you get into the guts of Clark Lee and who he's about, you're like, this guy is going to be a head coach. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I, I would just be floored I think, if he doesn't move up from Notre Dame to I, head coach. I think that personality, that human being, that person will influence people positively. I, I agree with you. Still sick with now, the answer. Now, let's, let's see him coordinate his first game. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the calamity of Michigan that we were bringing about. Right, right. Right. I retract my statement. Uh, okay, uh, W. Jason P., why do you think it's so difficult for Notre Dame to recruit top-quality defensive ends consistently? Uh, not a lot of them are from the Midwest. The ones that are from Ohio. Ohio has arguably, well, barely arguably, the top defensive line coach in the country in Larry Johnson. And Notre Dame doesn't have a program identity of great defensive line play in the same way that it has a program identity of great offensive line play. Also, those guys are in the Midwest in Catholic schools or tight end play. So that's, I think it's a mix of a lot of things, geography, academics, fit, but also just sort of program identity. I think you nailed it with geography, number one. And I put academics up there. I think you can change the identity they almost did in 2011 and 12, but since then the, the returns weren't the same as I thought they might be after that. And I would add, you know, I mean, just great pass rushing defensive ends. I don't think that there's a, there's yeah, a they, surplus of those out there trees, across right? the, the country. So I think it makes it difficult. All right, we we have to we've got a roll here. Uh, we don't know when we're going to be back. It'll probably be within the next two weeks. We had said we were going to come back on Monday the sixteenth. We will not be back on Monday the sixteenth. Uh, so without anything definitive to say, just to, <laughs> just to let you know, we'll be back uh, within the next two weeks to have our next uh, Irish Illustrated podcast. Mm-hmm.